the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Where to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this week I have the privilege of filling in for my pastor, who normally does this radio show to take your Bible questions, questions about Jesus, questions about doctrine, questions about what the Word of God says and how to put it into practice into your life. Uh, pastor Ron and Paula are taking a short break this week. They are taking some time off to prepare their hearts and get ready for Joy of Jesus. For those of you in the radio listening audience that have heard Pastor Ron talk about Joy of Jesus, it's a big deal for us. And I'm sure he'll be talking about it more as the time approaches. In the meantime, the radio show continues. We take your Bible questions. We want to help you fall more in love with Jesus. I'll quickly give you the phone numbers, and the email address. The number here is 210-340-9585, That's your toll-free number. And the email address to submit questions is questions at calvarysa.com. Well, like I said, it's the Wednesday edition. That means here at Calvary Chapel, it's our Old Testament Bible study night. And so, like I said, Pastor Ron is, is out of town. So tonight, Pastor Alfredo is going to fill in. And I heard he is teaching out of Jeremiah tonight. That's going to be fun. So if you normally come to the Wednesday Old Testament study You'll be excited to hear that Pastor Alfredo will be teaching tonight. You don't want to miss that. And then briefly tomorrow, which is our date day edition. Normally, my wife May will join me here when I'm filling in for Pastor Ron. Tomorrow will be a pre-recorded program, a rebroadcast of a previous date day. Um, uh, my beautiful wife and I may have a, a, an appointment that we cannot reschedule. So that's unfortunately taking place tomorrow during the show. Anyways, you will still be blessed. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow at 4 for the date day edition. All right. Well, we want to go right to our phone lines. Anonymous from San Antonio on line one. You're on the air. Oh, I'm sorry. Anonymous, if you're still listening, looks like we got disconnected there. If you are able to, Anonymous, go ahead and call back. I apologize for the delay, and I promise we'll get you right to the front. Uh, okay, well, let's get right to our questions. We do have uh, some uh, one that was submitted yesterday. This one is from Anonymous, and it says, uh, as, as a follow-up to Jose, I also had a drinking problem for at least 40 years. I so looked forward to my wine. 
Finally, I took the Lord's promises to heart, and through him, it is possible. I don't miss it because my joy in Jesus has been enhanced. I love that. He who is in us is greater than the world. And Anonymous, thank you for for that message. I too uh, pondered on Jose's question after the show, even during the show yesterday. And I, I, I think you could hear it in my voice. It's something that hits uh, so deep into my heart and, and strikes me personally because it, it's just a, a similar background that I come from. And I know what it's like to be in a place where you feel like there is no way out, where there is no hope. And, and the life that I'm living, as miserable as it is, that's the best it's going to get. That's how I used to be before I got saved. And, and Anonymous, thank you for your follow-up message from Jose, because you said that you, you were dealing with this same issue for 40 years. And I love that, because when we have been under the weight of the bondage of sin for so long, decade after decade, it, it feels like there's no hope. It feels like there's no way out. But like you said, he who is in us, that's God, the Spirit, the Spirit of God that has been given us at the moment we became His. He is greater than he who is in the world. That means the society that we live in, the culture that we live in that's designed to lure us into sin. We don't have to give in to it. And Jose, I don't know if you're listening. Uh, there, there's nothing that will fill that emptiness like Jesus. And, and, and as a personal note, this is something that I was thinking about yesterday after the show. So please forgive me for as I take a side note on this because I, I really believe the Lord will use it to speak to, to some hearts. I know there are so many that struggle with this same issue and it's not particular to drinking but in my case I remember the reason why drinking used to appeal to me so much and it wasn't just drinking, it was drugs and it was all kinds of ungodly behavior. I wasn't saved I didn't know Jesus but at the time, my life was so empty. I spent all of my energy trying to clean up the outside. In other words, I realized that my life was, was a mess and I could not fix it no matter how I tried. I really thought I was just going to die living like that. So what I did was I focused all of my strength, my energy, in trying to look like I had my life together. I wanted to make sure I had new shoes on all the time, that my clothes were as clean as they could be. And, and, and it was fake. It was pretend. Because I hated my life. And I wanted a temporary escape. And even if I knew I would feel horrible after I went and got drunk, for me at the time, because I was hopeless, it was all I could do. I had no hope. I was spending so much energy trying to look like everything was okay, but the reality of it is, at the time, because I didn't know Jesus, I had no hope. Then. November 30th, 1997, I met Jesus. And I knew, I knew that he was everything that I'd been looking for all my life. I grew up in a Catholic home. I knew about Jesus. Went to church every Sunday. Did as many of the sacraments as I could. But my life was still a mess and something was still missing. And that night, November 30th, 1997, I heard 
the gospel message and I heard that Jesus loved me. And you know what? I didn't have to drink anymore. After Jesus changed my heart, I realized that everything I've been looking for in life, everything that I've been trying in life to fill that emptiness, drinking and drugs and relationships and, and money and all the things that we search for in this world, none of them worked. But then Jesus changed my heart and I wasn't looking for anything else anymore. Twenty, I don't know, two years later, I forgot, I lost track. I think it's 22 years later. Uh, I... I love Jesus more than ever because as far away and as distant as that time was when I was empty and looking to behavior, drinking and drugs that would temporarily escape my reality, Jesus became our reality. And, and life was better than I could ever imagine. I didn't have to hide in a dark room and I didn't have to hang around with people who who weren't good for me. My value and my worth were made known to me through the Word of God, and Jesus' love for me made me want to enjoy life. I, I hope that encourages somebody here. Jose, in your... I, I don't want to beat this dead horse too long, but this is, this is the last thing I'll say. First John chapter 3, we are reminded that anyone who lives lives that abide in Jesus, that, that, that are hidden in Christ, will not keep on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him, John says. And at the same time, when we say, just be with Jesus, when you're with him, you're not going to want to sin because everything that you're looking for is found in Him. Let's move on. The second question is from a high school student. That's all it says here. So it's an anonymous high school student. What does it mean in Hebrews 12 uh, when it says that the blood of Jesus says better things in the blood of Abel? Well, that's a great question. I love this. And so uh, I, I'm really excited when I hear young people studying the Bible. Uh, you know, we are in a section of Hebrews on Friday nights with Pastor Ron where we're about to enter into chapter 12. And, and uh, this is, uh, I mean, chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith is, is so rich to study each one of those individual people and what Jesus has done in their lives individually is, is a, a wonderful testimony. But then you go into chapter 12 and it's, it's just as good. But in that chapter, when Paul, who I'm all, I also believe, like Pastor Ron, append the letter to the Hebrews, you have to remember the context here of what he's writing, why he's writing. He's writing to Jewish Christians who were tempted to go back to religion in order to alleviate the pressure and persecution they were suffering from their own people. I mean, their own loved ones were excommunicating them from their society. So these who grew up in Jewish culture and in Judaism and have given their lives to Christ and become Christians were suffering. And the temptation was for them to reject Christ and go back to the religion so that they could be accepted by their people and by society once again. That's the bigger context of the letter. And so often the letter, it, Paul uses comparison and contrast, contrasting images to point to the old religion versus the new relationship with Jesus. This is the difference between the old and the new covenant. This passage in chapter 12 is about the realities that come from being people of the new covenant. Especially in verse 24 when it says that the blood of Jesus is better than the blood, it says better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus symbolizes this new covenant that we have. 
and the blood of Abel symbolizes the old covenant. So in other words, you have come to Jesus and the one who brings you grace by his blood and compare that to the blood of Abel which brings judgment because remember Abel was murdered by his brother Cain and as a result of his sin God said there in Genesis chapter 4 that the ground will be cursed and you this is Cain shall live as a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth that's what happened with the blood of Abel it spoke of judgment but when Paul says in Hebrews that the blood of Jesus speaks better things, in Hebrews 12, 24, he's talking about the grace that comes in the new covenant. You have the blood of the new covenant, which we, which we like to call the cup of grace, as it's symbolized during our communion services on the first of every Sunday. It's not blood in the cup, but it's what it symbolizes, and it's the new covenant that compared to the old blood, that's the blood of Abel, which is the blood of judgment, it's much better. All right, let me give you the phone numbers one more time. 210-340-9585, 210-340-9585, That's your toll-free number. The email address is questions at calvarysa.com. Our next question is from Christopher. Can you explain Exodus 21, verse 10? It sounds like God allows multiple wives. Let me quickly turn there. I think I remember the the context of this passage, but I just want to make sure. Exodus 21. I want to read to verse 7 so that I get the context here through 11. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as men servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. And so this this section of Hebrews, I'm sorry, of, of Exodus chapter 20, uh, or the whole letter, of uh, the book of Exodus, particularly chapter 21, is very specific. And the context here has everything to do with the Mosaic Law, and specifically how it is to handle Hebrew servants. And and that's important to remember. This section, really it's chapter 21, 22, and 23, these are specific laws given to Israel, not to us, but to Israel. So that's important. In fact, look at verse 1. That's exactly what's written here. These are the laws you are to set before them, Israel, not us. So that's important here. We also need to remember that among the pagan cultures surrounding Israel, women and slaves had no rights at all. Zero. No rights. And because the, the Israelites were placed in Canaan, as uh, to be a witness for the God of Israel, a light in the middle of darkness, so that the surrounding pagan nations would see the glory and the power of the God of Israel. That's why he set them in that place. That was their purpose. But what they wanted to do, what Israel wanted to do, was rebel against God and assimilate 
into the pagan cultures. In other words, they wanted to be like them instead of be a light to them. Isn't it sound like so many Christians today, people who call themselves Christians, it's so, I, I, I hear it so often that it's so hard to be a Christian in the society that we live in. I would argue that it's much harder not to be a Christian. Well, we look at them and we see the people that don't know Jesus, but they enjoy lives of, of wealth and prosperity. They seem like they're happy and they have such material blessings. Uh, I know, Chris, this isn't about your question, but Psalm 73 tells us, you know, when you fix your eyes on these people who don't know God, you can slip and fall. Really quickly, the answer here for you, Christopher, is this. God was establishing rights for women and Hebrew slaves. That's why this was so revolutionary. It actually assigned them greater value than what they were accustomed to. Instead of assimilating into the culture of the surrounding pagan peoples and doing what they did to their women and slaves, this is what God said. Give them value. Give them worth. So I hope that helps. Let's go back to our phone lines. Tom from San Antonio. You're on the air. How can I help you? Hi, Pastor Ken. I just, once again, it's me. I just wanted to come alongside you again and just reiterate some of the suffering that we go through as Christians. I, this is coming from my heart, and my walk has been 32 years. I lost a lot, mm. and I gained a lot. But the thing is that I'm not going to snivel about that. This is what Paul, the apostle, did. He he was a rich man before he, he came to uh, to Christ, or Christ was revealing through him on the way to Damascus, the road to Damascus. That's right. And now, all the excellencies of Christ, he considers it far greater, and everything That's else right. is rubbish. Rubbish. And I just want to encourage our fellow believers that you're going to suffer. Jesus said you're going to suffer for my name's sake. You're going to be hated by all men, not some men, a little men. Your own people are going to hate you, your family That's and right. the ethnicity. You're going to be hated. So, you know, if you're really a born-again Christian, you have to understand in your heart and take Christ's words literally that if they did it to him, they're going to do it to us, especially when we're living out. Uh, our lives by the power of our of the Holy Spirit. That's all, Brother Ken. Keep going strong, Thank you, my Tom. brother. Thank you, Tom. What a great, great encouragement. Isn't it something, uh, you know, when someone has been through so much and they they have suffered through some of the most difficult and darkest times of their life, but they cling to Jesus in the middle of that difficulty, we can look back later on just like what Tom was saying, 32 years walking with Jesus, and you look back and you see what the Lord has brought you through. Now, I know that, that doesn't help immediately when you're right in the middle of your trial. But suffering, listen to this, suffering is a gift from God. I know it doesn't feel that way. I know it doesn't feel that way. That's not what I meant. It's not like the kind of gift that you would get from could I have a chocolate? You know, that, that kind of gift. But it's a gift because it'll strengthen your faith if you let it. It's a gift because what Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he said, I want to know Christ and in the fellowship of his sufferings. This is written by a man who at the time knew Christ better than anyone else. He knew Jesus more intimately and personally. And yet he still said, in my sufferings, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to know him more because there's power there. There's power in his resurrection. So, Tom, thank you for the encouragement. Uh, I don't want to ever minimize the pain that somebody's going through, but uh, there's one thing that's always true. If I spend my time dwelling on 
the circumstances in my life, the immediate circumstances that crowd me and the pile of bills and, and the, the medical you know, news and uh, the people that are posting things about me and saying things and, and what my relatives are doing to, to, to me. If I spent my time thinking about these things, I will be overwhelmed and I'm not going to focus on Jesus. But if I look at Jesus and I let him hold me, if I fix my eyes upon him, then it doesn't matter what happens around me. I'm not ignoring them. I'm not being naive and pretending like that I don't have these circumstances to deal with. But Jesus will hold my hand. And one by one, we'll deal with each one of these circumstances without panicking, without fretting. And that's what he wants to do. That's why I say suffering is a gift. Because in that suffering, it'll draw me closer to Jesus. I'll see the power of his salvation working in my life. Tom, thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your call. Uh, this is the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. You can hear the music. That means we are wrapping up the first half of the show. I'll be back in two minutes for the second half. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and if you're just tuning in, I am filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who is uh, out of town, both he and Paula are enjoying a short time away to get their hearts and their minds ready for a whole bunch of things that are coming up. This is always the busiest time of year, and this last quarter, it, it really kicks off with uh, Joy of Jesus, which is coming up here in a couple weeks, uh, less than a couple weeks, actually. And so we're all excited about that. If, uh, if you haven't heard of it, um, you will hear more about it as Pastor Ron gets back on the air on Monday. Real quickly, I'll mention this now, and I'll mention it at the end of the broadcast, but tonight is Wednesday, our Old Testament Bible study night here uh, at Calvary Chapel, 7 o'clock. If you're interested in joining us, Pastor Alfredo will be teaching out of Jeremiah. All right, let's go back to our phone lines. Uh, Teresa from San Antonio, you're on the air. Uh, Hello. Hello, sir. Are you? Can you hear me? Yes, Teresa. Hi. Okay. Hi. Uh, um, I was calling. I usually, uh, you know, frequently call Pastor Ron, and he's, you know, he he helps me out and stuff. Anyway, I hope you do too. Uh, I was just listening, yes. but I missed it. There was a gentleman that called you a few minutes ago at the start of your show about. Um, uh, he spoke about Exodus. I think it was thirty-one. Yes, uh, uh, I wanted that, to know which one. It, I wanted to know which one in Exodus it was because I I read I heard a comment about that yesterday, and I wanted to find out what it was written in there. Oh, okay, Teresa. I apologize if I misspoke. It's actually out of Exodus twenty-one. And the question, it wasn't a caller, it was an email question that was submitted uh, by Christopher. And it was about Exodus chapter 21, which sounds like, uh, the question was Exodus chapter 21 verse 10, and if God allows multiple wives. Uh, The answer is no. And the context of that passage was about uh, women and Hebrew slaves. And so what I said quickly was that, God intended, never intended for men to have multiple wives, but what he was doing in this passage, actually in chapter 21, 22, and 23, uh, is he wrote down specific laws given only to Israel. 
written to them, and so it doesn't apply to us. So that's the context. And what this passage was about was actually assigning greater value to women because the, the cultures that were surrounding Israel would devalue and demean the women and the slaves. And so this, this portion of scripture uh, given to Israel was, was reminding them that they were placed there uh, in Canaan to, to be a light and a witness to the other people that, that were surrounding them. Does that make sense? But I was wondering, sir, uh, does the does the Exodus go all the way to chapter thirty-one? Because what you just read and told me about is just fine and that's good, but it it doesn't seem like the one that that's related to what I'm talking about. It was about the rules and regulations for the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people, and I thought that everybody, all of the people in the Bible were all Jewish. That's right. And so uh, you're right, Teresa. What I was talking about was Exodus chapter 21. Exodus, the book of Exodus. Right. Exodus 31 is different. And, and, And the rest, so you have to understand the Old Testament uh, particularly the first five books, which would include Exodus, have very specific laws written to Israel about Israel and how they were to conduct their lives. And some of it includes how they were to interact with the other people that were not from Israel. And so in chapter 31, uh, the, there's a section there that talks about the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath wouldn't apply to people who were not of Israel. This was about a specific law given to Israel and how they were to conduct themselves when they were to enter into the land. So you're right, Teresa, I hope this makes sense. There are some portions of Exodus that that give instruction to Israel on how they are to deal with people that are not of Israel. But by and large, the entire book of Exodus is about their travel, their journey uh, from Egypt into the promised land. And some of the rules that God gave them, this would be the law that the, that the Israelites were to abide by when they were placed in Canaan. Does that make sense? Rules in, in the Old Testament were given, were started out by God's law, weren't they? They were given by God's hand, by God's mouth and to Moses, right? That's right. After, That's right. After the the, 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 the scriptures were written on the tablet and all that, and Moses Absolutely. put the tablet down, and then that was those, he carried in his hand the tablet with all the rules that God gave the people. He had to write rules and regulations because the people were so unruly and the witch watching, you know? They were happy. Excuse <laughs> my, that's my, that's my, my, my phrase. But they, you, I they, love, they were, they I love were it. cold, huh? I'm sorry. I'm sir. sorry. No, keep going. I was just saying I love the way you explained it, but keep going. Oh, okay. But anyway, because sometimes they were happy and sometimes they were mad and and, he, and then they were griping because uh, Moses took so long up there. Well, who cares? I would stay there forever and never come down, you know? <laughs> but that's a different story. But anyway, uh, sir, I sure appreciate you, you giving me a chance to air my thoughts at the time, you know? So I had to get it out and I had to call because if I didn't, then it would be bothering me, you know? And I would probably have to call you practically every day and you wouldn't want me to. So anyway. Oh, I would want that. <laughs> Believe I enjoy your calls. When Pastor Ron is taking your questions, Teresa, I enjoy your your questions, and they're always good. So thank you for calling. I'm, I'm glad you did. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Oh, what what a blessing. You know what? I earlier at the fir- the first half, I read a question from uh, a high school student. And and then to hear a call from Teresa and to get a phone call from Tom, people who have been walking with the Lord for 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 decades and decades and decades, it encourages me because 
there's fruit in the lives of young people and there's fruit in the lives of people who are older. And, and Jesus wants to produce fruit in our lives. And when you listen to people and, 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 and younger people, I would direct this to you. This is something that Pastor Ron says uh, to us often here at Calvary Chapel, but it's so practical and it applies to every church and every church body. Every church has older, matured, experienced Christians as a part of their body. And to you who are younger, seek them out. Go find them. Sit aside them. Ask them questions. I promise you, they would love to share with younger people who are actually interested about what Jesus has done in their life. Uh, stories of, of its faithfulness. Stories of, of what it was like when they first got saved. And for the, for the people who are older in church, you have a gift, this, this wisdom that you've accumulated, the experience, experiences that you've had with Jesus over the years and over the decades is a treasure for you, new young believers. And so don't be afraid to share that. I know oftentimes uh, younger people think, well, I, you know, I, I don't know if I have anything in common. They wouldn't want to hear anything from me. And we come from different eras. If Jesus is the topic of conversation, I promise you they'll be interested. And even some of the elder, elder people, people sometimes they, they get discouraged because they too think, well, you know, this generation is just so completely different than when, when I grew up. And when I first became a Christian, it just wasn't like it was today. It's the exact same thing. Sin is sin, and Jesus is Jesus. His grace is still His grace, and none of that changes and and I would even go as far as to say, you know, that those stories that people who have spent a lot of time with Jesus, that have become so personal to them, when you share them, not only does it encourage the hearer, but it also encourages your own heart. When you start to listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth about what Jesus has done even if you know the story really well of your own personal life, maybe you can think back to a time when you remember so vividly how Jesus really showed off, when you trusted him, when it was scary and it was so difficult. And maybe over time you've forgotten about it, then you go and sit down with a younger person and you share with them as they're going through their difficult time what happened to you. It will encourage them and at the same time Refresh your spirit. Why? Because you'll be reminded yourself of what Jesus has done for you. That's a gift. So don't ever, ever lose that. And if you're younger, ask the older people to share their stories. If you're older, don't be afraid to share what Jesus has done in your life. Okay, let's go back to our phone lines. I love that we're getting phone calls. Jeff from San Antonio, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. I, hey, uh, Jeff. I talked I talk with you yesterday at the end of the day. I remember. I hope you don't mind me calling you back. I love it. Okay. So I had a chance to go listen to the Monday Bible study this morning, and and I, I, I can understand why yesterday you were so uh, excited about it, because that's just... <laughs> really powerful and I and I and 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 I want to ask you to reflect a little more uh, on a couple of things that, that I got out of it or for this kind of expanded radio audience um, but sure. the things I really one of the things I really appreciated or a couple of things I appreciated in your commentary was like you know if if you're saved then your life has to be transformed and um, and then you talked about not 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 being comfortable in your sin. Don't get comfortable in your sin. Um, yes. But the thing, that, the thing at the end, I think, towards the end there, when you talked about how, you know, our Lord was an ordinary man, and why he, why didn't he appear 
as a superhero transformer, you know, everyone would want to follow him just because he was he was really obvious. I think one of the things that's bothered me a lot through through my years uh, following Jesus is all the artistic renderings of Jesus that have been that kind of got burned into my memory bank since childhood. Oh yeah. And it's been kind of hard to like, you know, get that that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant image of Jesus with the beautiful long hair and beard and pale skin and everything kind of out. Believe and me, said, I, I can identify. And you 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 talked about something that um, at the end that really helped me to shake that, and that was. You know, you reminded us to, to not forget of the image of his bloodied and, and barely recognizable face as he stood there with Pilate next to Barnabas and what it was that he was taking on for me and, and for the world. And, and, and I know that, you know, we're a visual culture and we love movies and everything else and the church is full of media, but, but I found that if I... I watch maybe once a year, especially close to Easter, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. It gets me right back to that that place. And I, and I think hmm. that's a more powerful thing for me than anything else, because we cannot forget or let go at all of, of that image, because that's the whole reason for the gospel is... He was tortured and died, and I just want to thank you right. for those comments. And they were just absolutely, really, uh, Jeff. Jeff, thank you for your call and thank you for your encouragement. Yes, I, I will uh, take a couple of points, uh, a couple of moments to elaborate on some points here that that you brought up, only because you asked. But Isaiah fifty three. Actually, the end of 52, which you pointed out. I'll just read the verse so that we have context for the rest of the radio listening audience that has not listened to that Monday night study. Isaiah 53, I'm sorry, 52, verse 13 begins this vivid picture painting of Jesus as the suffering servant. And if, you know, you, you hear people argue and discourage and, 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 and try to say that this is not Jesus. There's no way you read through this and you say this is not about Jesus. Even the, the Jews who were skeptical of this passage tried to say that it was not a part of Isaiah's original manuscript. Uh, they, once the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and they found out before the time of Jesus Christ, according to the dating method that they used, they saw this passage here. So this is why it's so powerful. Because in verse 14 of chapter 52, this is what it says. Talking about Jesus, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. That is what Jeff was talking about. When I was teaching this, we spent just a moment elaborating on this picture of Jesus and it describes him as one being disfigured beyond that of any man. When they put the bag over Jesus' head and punched him and kicked him and, and they beat him mercilessly, at the same time mocking him and saying, well, then tell us who hit you. All these things that they did to him, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It all came to a head, well, not to a head, but it all came to a near apex when Jeff described there that moment when Barabbas and Jesus were standing with Pilate before the people. They took off the hood, the bag, and his body marred, scarred, beaten, tortured, and humiliated before people. It's one thing to look at that story and be grossed out and think, oh, you know what, why would that happen? Why does that need to happen? Why did he need to suffer so much? It's because of his love for you and for me. That's the death that I deserve. 
And what I described Jeff that that night at that study was was I, I pictured myself being right at the front, yelling the loudest, crucify him, crucify him. It goes on in chapter 53 to say this in verse 3. I'm not going to give a Bible study here, so I won't talk long about this, but this is another verse that describes the significance of what Jesus did for me. Verse 3, he's, Isaiah says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering because of what Jesus suffered, because of what he endured, out of his great love for me. Hebrews tells us later on that for the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. You are that joy, Jeff. I am that joy. In, in, in a way that I cannot explain, when Jesus was there, disfigured, his face bloodied, barely hanging on to life, the joy set before him was you and was me. It's as if Jesus was there, barely alive, and instead of thinking and feeling sorry for himself, he thought about me. He thought about what my life would be like. He thought about all the pain that I would endure and all the things that I would suffer and he said, because I love Ken so much. He is the joy set before me. I'll let his name run through my mind and I'll stay here and I'll suffer so that his sin could be forgiven. That's how the personal, the cross needs to be for those who are really believers because if it is, just like Jeff said, once you realize how personal the cross of Jesus Christ is and you think of it in terms of what he endured and that I deserve that torture, that punishment, it makes me want to love him even more. It makes me want to love him even more. He was despised and rejected by men. And we know that Hebrews tells us that everything that he endured, he could empathize with everything that we're enduring because he also suffered. And I love that because that's how personal the crucifixion needs to be. Now, if we know Jesus and we just know of the cross as a transaction, which it was. It was a, 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 almost like a business transaction where, where, where my filth was exchanged for his righteousness. That's what Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. That is entirely true. And Jesus said, I love him so much that I'll take away his sin and give him my righteousness. That is a demonstration, the greatest demonstration of love. But I want it to be so much more personal for you and for me. And, and just like Jeff said, that's when the, the turning point happens in your walk with Jesus. That's when the, the gratitude that Paul describes, I said it yesterday in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. When you think about the cross and you think about what Jesus endured, Paul says, I have been crucified with, cross, with Christ and is no, no longer I who live in the flesh, but it's the Son of God who lives in me and who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, obviously, Paul was not crucified on the cross physically. I believe he was there watching Jesus. But at the moment when he was interrupted on the road to Damascus, and at the time when Ananias came and lifted the scales from his eyes, he realized that back then when he was watching this criminal being crucified, that he did it for him. It became personal. The natural byproduct of that realization in your own heart, in your own mind, has to be gratitude. Has to be gratitude. And that's what will drive how you live for Jesus today. 
if you struggle with pornography, you struggle with sin, you struggle with drugs or alcohol, you struggle with getting angry, you struggle with all these things that are normal everyday things, fixing that behavior isn't going to help you. Getting to the root cause is looking back at the cross. I have a guy who who calls the church regularly now. I'll wrap this up. We've got less than three minutes, less than two minutes actually here left in the show, so I won't be taking any more calls. But uh, I've got a guy who calls into the church office, not the radio show, but the church office every three months or so. And he always calls me drunk. He calls me and I tell him, the reason why you're calling is because you feel guilty. You don't need to talk to me. You need to go to Jesus if you really are a believer. Then go and repent and get your heart right and, and change. Fix it. But he always calls me and I always say the same thing. Go to Jesus. The reason why he calls those is so that he can get approval for the way he lives his life. And what I tell him is, if you've really met my Jesus, He'll change you. You won't be the same person you used to be. And that's what I was talking about on Monday night. That's what it all comes down to. We've got less than one minute left on the show. Uh, let me remind you, uh, today is Wednesday. And oh, I'm sorry, it's Wednesday, our Old Testament Bible study night. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't, Heard Pastor Alfredo, him and I have a such a neat story personally because him and I have known each other ever since seventh grade. And we're not from Texas. We, we grew up together in San Diego, California. He has seen me at my worst and my darkest times. But he's also a pastor who loves Jesus with all his heart. I want you to come tonight and hear his heart. Well, that wraps up the Wednesday edition. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Oh, no, tomorrow's a pre-recorded version. Friday at 4 o'clock. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.